Well, here from Locked On Raptors alongside Devon Givens and Keith Pompey from Locked On Sixers for your crossover preview of Raptors Sixers, which gets going on Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern time down in Philadelphia. Should be a really fun one. I feel like the Raptors are probably the Eastern Conference team that have been pegged as the one with the most upset potential of any of the lower seeds in the Eastern Conference. And I think it's fair to say the Sixers are the ones with the biggest upset potential the other way as well, based on how things have gone down the back part of the season, which should leave us with a very interesting series. We'll get to predictions and all that stuff, X factors, things like that. But I guess we should start here, guys. Uh, I'll let you guys grill me on some Raptors topics in the second segment here. But I, I do want to get your thoughts on, I, I guess, sort of the big story coming into the series. Probably not in terms of like on-court impact, but certainly in terms of the way the Sixers are going to defend the Raptors, the way things are going to play out, uh, you know, on the wings, especially with the rotation for Philly. Matisse Thibel, not available for the games in Toronto. He will play in Philly, of course, but the vaccine mandate keeps him out of the games in Toronto. And I'm fascinated by how this changes things because Thibel is obviously an amazing defender, probably the first or second best defender on the Sixers team, depending on how you line him and, uh, and uh, Joel Embiid up. But he is obviously a bit of an offensive liability as well. Not a great three-point shooter. And we've seen the Raptors play the Sixers over the last month here, guys, with both Thibel in and out of the lineup. The first game went kind of, as you might expect, a pretty low offensive slugfest of a game where Thibel was in there offering his defense but didn't offer a ton on the offensive side of things. And then in the second game, which the Raptors also won, you get Danny Green starting in place of Thibel. He goes 6 of 8 from downtown and kind of shows, oh, this is what this team could look like with a lot of three-point shooting dotted around Embiid and James Harden. So, Keith, we'll start with you here. Like, what do you think the adjustment is for Philly here in the games where they don't have Thibel? And I guess sort of the bigger question is, does not having him actually really change things for the Sixers? Like, sh should they still be considered favorites regardless of whether Thibel's available or not, considering what he gives back on the offensive end, despite all he brings on defense? You know, I think not having um, Matisse Thibel hurts the Sixers a little bit. Now, the one thing that Devon knows and um, that we, we should tell you, the thing about Matisse uh, lately, it had a lot to do with, you know, how he did in the first half. I mean, there were games where Matisse would start but in the second half, sometimes they brought in another starter if he wasn't making his shots, right? Um, the last time he played against the Raptors, because he only played against them twice, the last time he played against them, he had four blocks. He had three steals, right? He was a plus eight. Uh, he shot four for six to, from that game and had 12 points. So Matisse played well, but there's been other times when he just didn't play very well. Now, the thing is, when you bring in a Matisse Thibel, even if he's not shooting the ball well, it, he adds depth to the to the roster. You know, you have a guy like Danny, you know, he could come off the bench, he can knock down some shots. But for the most part, you know, it's one of those things. I think the big thing that they're going to lose with Matisse is just that body. And they don't have someone who's going to be able to defend. Um, but, you know, to me, it was always one of those hit and miss. If you get great Matisse, good Matisse defensively, he helps you. If you get bad Matisse, it's one of those things where either Danny or George Niang were, were going to close out the game. Matisse just wasn't going to be out there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, Devon, the next thing I kind of want to hit on here as far as like big storylines for the series, and this obviously is the big storyline for the Sixers, is Joel Embiid. He is 
at worst going to be a top three MVP finisher this season. And he has made some pretty significant strides, I think, in terms of the way his game will be suited towards the playoffs. We've seen in the past, going back to the Raptors series with them in 2019, that he's had trouble when he sees extra attention. He can't quite make those reads, maybe the simple reads, but he's not making those great passes out of trouble to keep the offense flowing and create advantages elsewhere. This season, Embiid has a career low turnover percentage at 11.3%. Uh, he's beefed up his you know, career assist to turnover ratio. has always been around one to one. It's 1.3 to one this season. And he is, you know, like he just looks more comfortable in those situations where there's that extra attention coming. And we know the Raptors are going to send a lot of attention his way. This is really interesting to me because if the Raptors can't turn over Joel Embiid in those situations, they're going to have a hard time scoring in this series, I think, because so much of the Raptors do is in transition. They run at the fifth highest clip of any team in the NBA, and they don't even have like a necessarily crazy good offensive rating in transition opportunities. It's just 1.09 points per possession, seventh to last in the league. They just run so often that it's kind of a volume game here when they're on the run. And so if they're not forcing Embiid into those mistakes where they can get him to turn it over four, five, six times in a game, those runouts just aren't going to be there. And I have you know, questions about how they can score in the half court. And, and I really do feel like transition does seem like the big battleground for this series. Can you kind of enlighten Raptors fans who maybe haven't watched him all the time this season? as to how Embiid's improved in that department? And do you think against the mad genius that is Nick Nurse and his crazy defenses and all the length the Raptors have, can Embiid hold up to that over the course of a series? Because I think if he can, that really gives the Sixers a, a pretty serious advantage in diminishing what the Raptors do best. Well, first, Sean, I will say that to answer that last question, yes, I do believe he'll be able to hold up when it comes to the mad scientists of what Nick Nurse will throw at him defensively. And, and he does it very well, as we know, Nick Nurse uh, on that side. But the overall answer for everything that you just threw at both, you know, Keith and I is this is part of the reason when you mentioned in the very beginning, he is a top three candidate for MVP because sure. of the fact that he has improved so much uh, over the maturity of what we're seeing with his basketball game, where the turnovers are different. They're not the same. Sure, he'll have a high turnover game here from time to time. But for the most part, Sean, he has handled things very well. He knows uh, at this point that the double team is coming, where it's coming, how it's coming. May not be 100% sure. Of course, that goes with game planning and just the other side of game planning from the Toronto side. But he'll be ready, and he's aware of it. He knows that they're going to come because nothing has changed with how Nick Nurse defends Joel Embiid. Where they may come from, sure. But at the end of the day, it's about seeing the, the double and triple teams and getting the basketball out and he knows that so i think he'll be able to to do it just that have some success there and if he does in fact have that type of success as the best player in this series it's now uh, about his teammates you have a dynamic scorer that we know in james harden we haven't seen it as much but we know it could still be in there and then when you speak of the matisse thibault factor that keith was talking about offensively you have a much better outside shooter so if Danny Green, if they're daring him to knock down the shots, and we know that he can, and if he gets rolling, those shots start falling, Nick Nurse now may have to think about how he does things defensively. Maybe he switches a matchup where Danny Green is now defended by a different player, but still, in totality, the the uh, the defense is still coming to double or and or a triple team in B. And he just has to be prepared, ready to get the ball out, not panic in the situation, 
that as if this is anything new and something that he hasn't seen. And I do think he will do that in, in this series against Nick Nurse. He's, as I mentioned, he's prepared for it. He's ready to do it. The Sixers overall, they understand it as well, and they know what they need to do. Yeah, all well-made points. And I think, you know, the second part of this is if the Raptors can't turn over Embiid, they're just going to have to hope that they get sort of replicated performances from Tobias Harris and their other shooters that they got back in 2019, if you recall. Uh, You know, some pretty rough, crooked shooting lines for the catch-and-shoot guys for the Sixers dotting around Embiid in that series. So we know Embiid is going to win his minutes when he's on the floor. You know, he's even done that in the couple of games against the Raptors over the last you know month or so here. But the part that's really been the bugaboo for the Sixers is backup center. And that has been a recurring issue. My favorite stat from game seven of the 2019 second round, Joel Embiid plays 45 minutes and 12 seconds. It is a plus 10. And the Sixers are a minus 12 in the 248 played by a combination of Greg Monroe and Mike Scott as the backup fives in that game. It decided it for sure, and that was the recurring theme throughout that series and basically throughout every Sixers series since then as the backup center spot has not been effective. Uh, And, you know, we've seen over the course of the last week or so Sixers fans and media and Doc Rivers talking a lot about DeAndre Jordan, B-ball Paul Reed, and who's going to fill in those backup center minutes. Keith, I'll go to you on this one. Like, is there a chance we see, like, regular DeAndre Jordan time in this series? Because if so, I think that really, really opens up the opportunity for the Raptors to blitz the Sixers in those minutes where he's on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an opportunity. In the perfect world, you know, they go to the guy in that who they call in Philly B-ball Paul, right, Paul mm-hmm. Reed. You know, he's an undersized center. He's more like a power forward. He's, you know, he's 6'9". Um, some people may say 6'10", but he's really, you know, 6'9". The thing with him is he's an energetic guy. He's one of these guys. He reminds you of some of the guys that Toronto has. Like, yeah. you know, he's really athletic. Um, you know, he'll get the ball off the glass, do a putback dunk. He'll make a uh, really great steal. The problem with him is he's still learning the game. He doesn't really – He he. people in Philly love him. They get mad that Doc doesn't play him a lot. But the problem is he really doesn't know the playbook the way that he should. And he doesn't, he's always lining up in the wrong spot, things like that. A great player, but in the ideal world, the 76ers would have him out there. But then if he if he messes up, it's going to be DeAndre Jordan. And you're right. They're going to blitz him. They're going to do whatever they can. You know, DeAndre Jordan had a great career. Right now he's at the tail end of his career. He's a little bit older, but you know, he could be out there, but I think if he is out there, it's because of Paul Reed is struggling and it's because Paul Millsap, you know, is, is just too old to be out there and play. So, they, you know, like you said, the Sixers have had a problem at backup center. This trade, yes, they did get James Harden, and that was great for him, but they lost Andre Drummond, which is going to be a huge miss for them in this series. Yeah, DeAndre Jordan on the court this season in 214 minutes for Philly, a minus 7.7 net rating for the team when he's on the floor. Not going to cut it in those very, very important little sections where Embiid's going to sit and the Raptors are going to have a chance to pull them back in. We're going to continue on here, and you guys are going to grill me on the Raptors in just one second here. But first, I do want to tell everybody about our friends over at... Bet online. Bet online is your number one source for all your sports betting stats and info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news 
including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season covered for you at Bet Online. So you have all the information available when you want to go to place a bet. Say you're trying to figure out what you want to do in this Sixers Raptors series. Do you want to get some money on the unders uh, down on the underdog Raptors? You can go ahead and do that at Bet Online and again get all the info that you might need to make an informed wager before you do it by perusing their collection of content. They have podcasts, league reviews, everything that you might need, injury reports, and everything in between. And you can also do live betting. They've got Vegas casino games. You can bet on esports and so much more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device and learn more about the trends and the action at bet online where the game starts and we continue on your raptors sixers locked on crossover episode here sean devon and keith here with you uh i'll turn it over to you devon if you want to start grilling me on the raptors i've had the, the run of the show here so far asking about what's going on with the sixers fire away my friend what do you want to know about the opponent for the philadelphia 76ers up here in toronto yeah, I would like to start with uh, Pascal Siakam. He was able to average 30 points in the game that he's played games he's played against the Sixers and from afar. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was paying attention to what he's done over the last couple of seasons, seeing him during the championship run as well. But then there was uh, seemed like a little uh, issue going on there with Pascal Siakam. So what was the issue that had him? Uh, we would see reports about him possibly being moved. He was not playing at the all-star level that he was once playing before. And now all of a sudden, he's back to being that that two-way player that is now the head of the snake, if you will, for the Raptors and how things get done both offensively and defensively. What has changed and what was the issue that took him from that all-star to a potential trade candidate as well? So there was a really great article written by Michael Grange, who covers the Raptors for Sportsnet up here uh, last week, kind of detailing Siakam's journey from you know, the, the early parts of his career up until now. And the big reason why Siakam kind of fell off the face of the earth as one of the most relevant guys in the league is that the pandemic hit. And he had a really interesting situation where because of his visa situation, he wasn't able to pick up a basketball for like five months going into the bubble. He goes into the bubble and is just completely rusty, does not have the feel, the rhythm, and he's a very rhythm and touch-based player, just didn't have it. And in that Celtics series in the second round, he got really exposed for his lack of playmaking chops. You know, he would try to post up Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart. They would send extra attention, and he just was not able to make those plays, not dissimilar to sort of greener versions of Joel Embiid in the past, wasn't able to make those plays out of those double teams, wasn't able to make stuff happen in single coverage, and it really was kind of this lost series for him And, you know, I think it's kind of unfair the way it hung over him. You know, you go into last year, the Raptors are on these really bizarre circumstances playing in Tampa Bay, getting booed by their home crowd, their quote unquote home crowd while they're playing down there to the point that they just stop letting fans in the building. And, you know, if you watch Siakam throughout last year, I don't blame you if you didn't watch last year's Raptors because they were a nightmare to watch. Totally ruined my mood for about five months there. But Siakam did make some strides when it came to his playmaking. He averaged about five assists a game last year. Uh, You know, he's over a five assists a game this season and has just become a more sort of uh, cerebral player when it comes to figuring out what the defense is trying to do to him and then reacting accordingly. And it's gotten to the point this season where he just has complete control over the middle of the floor. He'll take a pick or he'll just get a matchup that he wants to size up. He'll take a couple dribbles and then he'll kind of reassess. It's okay. Am I going to go to the spin move here? Is there an avenue towards getting to the basket here? Is there a guy I can blow by with my right or left? Is there a, a second defender coming my way where I can hit a, a guy who's being helped off of in the corners or something like that? And he really just has figured out the 
the sort of beats and rhythms of having the ball in your hands a lot and being that sort of heliocentric player. Like he's not Luka Doncic or anything like that, but that's sort of the similar type of play style he's operated under for the last three, four months here for the Raptors. He is the vehicle by which all good things on the Raptors offense kind of come. And so, yeah, he has become, it's actually kind of an interesting thing. We were talking about Joel Embiid dealing with double teams on the Sixers side of things. This series actually per NBA optics has uh, four of the most 11 most double team players in the NBA. You got Harden, who's number three and beads number seven. Van Vliet is number eight and Siakam is number 11. And the Raptors are scoring like crazy when uh, teams send double teams at Pascal Siakam. So far this season, he's double teamed on 31 and a half percent of his possessions. The Raptors score 1.2 points per possession in those situations, which outstrips both Embiid, who's at 1.11, and Harden, who's at 1.15. Van Vliet comes in at 1.19. So just the ability to diagnose that extra attention and also to just have a better supporting cast. I mean, he was making a lot of these reads last year, but passing to Stanley Johnson in the corner. Now he's passing to Gary Trent Jr. or OG Ananobi or Fred Van Vliet or, hell, Precious Achua, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but that has been kind of the secret for him, is he just knows where defenses are coming from, and he can make the right read, whether it's scoring for himself or finding a look for somebody else. And it's been really impressive to see the sort of way that like his basketball computer brain has just accelerated and been updated over the last year or so. Uh, he's a fantastic player, and he's given the Sixers a lot of problems, so we'll see how they choose to defend him going forward. It's going to be interesting to watch. And Bees has been a guy who's across from him, Tobias Harris as well. No Matisse Thibel, so uh, at least on the road. So we'll see how Doc Rivers tries to employ the defense against slowing down Pascal Siakam. Yeah. I guess that's my question for you guys. Uh, Keith, I'll go with you on this one. Like, who do you think guards Siakam sort of as like his base defender, right? Like they're going to switch a whole bunch and stuff like that. But I don't think it's quite like 2019, where if you think back to that series after game one, where Siakam torched the Sixers, they just threw Embiid on him and were like, all right, go ahead, try to make something happen. And it was a pretty difficult series from there on out for Pascal outside of a couple games. Who do you think is the primary for Siakam? Because I don't really see an obvious answer, especially when Thibel's not available. But even when he, when he is available, he gives up four inches to Siakam in that, in that one-on-one uh, sort of position battle as well. I think what we're going to see initially early on, you may see Tobias Harris on, which is a bad matchup. I mean, yeah. bad matchup. Right. And, yeah. and, and I, but I think initially we're going to see that. But I think that we're also going to see um, – that gets swapped off very quickly, and it's going to be Joel Embiid on him. I, I think, right. you know, Joel's going to try to, um, he, he's going to try to slow him down a little bit. Um, he's going to try to just stay in front of him, uh, use his length on him. But I, I, I think even with that that matchup, I know beforehand he struggled a little bit when Joel was on him now. But I, I think that we have that rivalry where it's kind of like it's bigger than just what we think. It's bigger than Canada, United States, the NBA, it's going to be for going back home and bragging. If there's one guy in the league who's not intimidated of Joel Embiid and, and who really wants to always go at Joel, it's, it's Pascal because of, yeah. you know, it's, it's the bragging rights back home in their home country. So, you know, I, I think that we're going to see Joel on them and, and they're both going to be physical. They're both going to go at it. They're going to talk to trash. They're going to do whatever. It's going to be a great storyline. But outside of Joel, you know, the only other player that I would say who can stay in front of him and, and, and try will keep him in front of him 
is possibly um, Paul Reed. But again, I'm right. afraid that Paul Reed's going to foul out, right? Against, <laughs> and, 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 and you're going to need him on the floor for those those limited minutes when Joel is off. So right right about now, I think it's going to be Joel. But I have a question for you. And, and my question yeah. for you is when we look at the Toronto Raptors, you look at, at Fred um, uh, Van Vliet, and you look at Pascal, who outside of who outside of those two guys are going to have to have a phenomenal series, phenomenal game for the Raptors to come out here and win this series? Yeah, I mean that's a really good question because this Raptors team, it's kind of been sort of a, a by committee type thing, especially when, when they're they have like all their starters available, right? They start small, they go with Scotty Barnes as their sort of nominal five, although he'll play some point guard too. There is no positions on this Raptors team. That's one thing Sixers fans should get to like get get acquainted with quick is positions are fake in Toronto. Chris oh, Boucher know. could be the shooting guard one day. Pascal Siakam yeah. plays point guard. There's just no positions. Everyone just plays basketball and flies around like a maniac. Uh, but yeah, w- when it comes to guys outside of Siakam and Fred, I mean, Fred has to be great. You know, they're, they're, just to begin with him, you know, he has kind of changed his role from the start of the year where he was, you know, obviously an all-star kind of flirting with all NBA contention in the first half of the season. He's been a little bit banged up, but also he's moved to more of an off-ball role as Pascal has become this sort of all-encompassing offensive engine for them. And so really him knocking down threes is essential. You know, think back to the Bucks series back in 2019 where he goes 14 of 17 to close that series. And it was the difference in the Raptors winning it. You know, his off-ball shooting is so valuable. He is one of the better off-ball guys in the league, but he's only shot about 30% from three since the All-Star break as he's been dealing with some injuries. He spoke today to the media, said he's feeling a lot better with the rest that the Raptors have had. They really barely played him over the last week or so of the season. And so he's probably going to be a little bit more fresh than he was during the, the last couple months here. But he's really important. Beyond that, you know, we've seen Fred Van Vliet get bothered by length in playoff series before. And if Matisse Thibel is going to have a really big impact in the series, I think it will be as the sort of primary on Fred to just kind of take that part of the Raptors offense away. And then from there, you're going to need Gary Trent Jr. to knock down threes. He's been really hot and cold, mostly extremely hot against the Sixers, uh, but he's been hot and cold uh, all season long. You know, he'll have stretches where he's unstoppable, stretches where he takes really ill-advised shots. Uh, And then Scotty Barnes, too. If Fred's not there as a guy to create offense for the team, I think Scotty's going to have some opportunities to go and hunt mismatches. This is what the Raptors do when you're everybody's six foot eight or six foot nine. There's always a matchup to go and pinpoint. And I think there's going to be a lot of Scotty Barnes sizing up, uh, you know, a Furkan Korkmaz or a, or a James Harden or a Tobias Harris, something like that. And that's going to be a pretty important source of offense here for the Raptors as well. Um, so like th- this is a team that doesn't work when some of the parts aren't working. Like th- this can all fall apart pretty quickly. If you know, Gary Trent jr. Is not hitting his threes or you're not getting any production off the bench, but Barnes and Fred are kind of the two guys who outside of Siakam, if he's having trouble can help create offense for this team and get things so, going in the half court. So what's the starting unit look like? Because we saw Kim Birch and we saw Kim yeah. Birch also because there was no Van Vliet and no Ananobi. So will Ananobi yeah. also be back as well? Because can't start all six. Someone has to come off the bench. It's a really interesting question. I wouldn't be surprised if it changes over the course of the, of the series, depending on how the matchups go. I think they'll start 
with their primary small look with uh, Fred, Gary Trent Jr. as a backcourt, and then OG, Siakam, Barnes across the front court. Uh, Who's the okay. center? Again, I don't really know. Um, that, I think, will be it. But I do think Fresh Sachua has a foul right? trouble. Foul trouble. Yeah, <laughs> foul trouble for sure. Like, that's that's kind of going to kind of be the issue here is, you know, at some point you're going to have to have someone in there who can just absorb a bunch of fouls. Ken Birch might be that Birch. guy, but he's also their worst offensive player. And, and so – that could be a bit of a tricky point. Precious Achua is a really interesting figure for me, and I wonder if maybe we should take that opportunity to go and talk about our X-Factors for the series, guys. I'll begin with my Precious Achua thoughts in just a second here, but first, should tell you about our friends over at Shady Rays Sunglasses. Go and check out Shady Rays. I got to tell you, if you're someone like me who loses sunglasses all the time, doesn't have the you know the taste or anything like that to care about paying for an expensive pair, but you want the quality of an expensive pair that you're going to be able to get replaced if you lose them, Shady Rays is the place to go. They are the independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find find anywhere else is Shady Ray's insane protection program. Shady Ray's includes lost and broken protection on every single pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them no matter what happened. Just a small processing fee and you have your pair replaced. Give them a try and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, every time you shop at Shady Ray's and buy an item, 10 meals are donated to help fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners right now, you can go to ShadyRays.com, use the code Locked On to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's an incredible deal. 50% off is no joke. The code Locked On gets you that deal. It's their best deal of the season. 50% off for two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. Use the code Locked On at ShadyRays.com. And we round out your first listen of the day and your Locked On Sixers, Locked On Raptors crossover, uh, digging into some X-Factor players. And to pick up the thread that I began based on Devon's question about the starting lineup in the last segment, uh, Precious Achua for me is, he's not the most important Raptor for this series, but he might be the biggest determining factor as to whether or not the Raptors have the juice to win because when he plays to the sort of peak that we've seen in the back part of the season, he is a switchable defender. He's one of maybe, I don't know, three or four guys in the entire NBA who can switch on to both Joel Embiid and James Harden and feel pretty good about it. Uh, and he's been hitting threes at a 40% clip since the All-Star break as well. I could totally see a world, to answer your question, Devon, where Precious Achua ends up being in the starting five, replacing one of Scotty Barnes or Gary Trent Jr., and they run those guys with the second unit. Um, I'm curious of your impressions of Precious Achua. It's been kind of a meteoric rise here, and the two games that the Raptors have beaten the Sixers in, Precious has been excellent in both. I think he was five of seven from downtown in the last game. So Devon Keith, I'm not sure who wants to take this one, but uh, what have been your impressions of Precious? And is there like a bit of worry that he could be a kind of swing factor that makes things tricky here as a guy who can guard both Embiid and Harden? Well, he, he has for me, and I can't speak for Keith, but for me, he has been surprising because he's always been known coming out of Memphis, University of Memphis, and even his time in Miami as a banger, one who can get rim to rim, a floor runner that is very active offensive glass, can get some things done on the putback as well offensively. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of an offensive game inside a three-point line. But now he is extending that range where he has become Chris Boucher for whatever reason <laughs> for the yep. Raptors. And he had the 20, I think it was 20 
in the last the, the game before last. And then, of course, he comes back and he knocks down threes once again. So that is a big key to defending. And the Sixers have had trouble, and Keith can attest to this, defending the three-point line. So when you have these big guys, they're letting them shoot. Chris Boucher, he's established. We know as far as his shooting. But now when we're starting to see Preston Chua knock down these shots from the perimeter the way that he is doing, it is a bit of a concern as to will this continue throughout a seven-game series as well. So curious to see how that plays since you bring him up as your X factor. And he cannot continue to – can he continue to knock it down to that same clip? I don't know. Yeah, totally. And so, Keith, let's go to you. You know, who do you have as like an X factor swing player in this series? Uh, could be on the Sixers side, could be on the Raptors side. But who do you think has a pretty big part to play here and how this one turns out? You know, I, I think the uh, Precious, the guy you talked about, is, is my X factor. Um, but outside of him, I will have to go with Danny Green. And the reason right. why I'm saying Danny Green is Danny Green had a great game against uh, the Raptors the last time they played. I think a lot of that, you know, had to do with, you know, this is his former team. He got his ring. He was filling it. But he has to continue to fill it in order for the Sixers to win. I mean, we all know that James Harden can't afford to struggle. I mean, James Harden struggled shooting the ball in his first in the first two games, or his only two games against the Raptors as a 76er. But right about now, in order for them to get the spacing, Danny Green has to be championship Danny Green. He has to be that way. He also has to defend. I mean, we we know what Tobias Harris is going to do. We know what Tyrese Maxey is going to do. We know what Joel's going to do. But in order for the 76ers to be extremely successful, Danny Green has to come to play, and he has to play at a high, high level for the Sixers to win. I would agree with that for sure. And I think, you know, the thing that in addition to his three-point shooting that he offers is without Thibel, he's probably their best wing defender, right? And like maybe that's not what you want at this A stage of his career, him being your best wing defender. That feels like a problem on its own. But like if anyone's going to have a chance of giving one of the wing guys on the Raptors problems, you know, outside of Thibel, it does kind of feel like Green could be that solution. And maybe he throws it back for for a series and really kind of shines there. Uh, Devon, who do you have as an X-Factor player? And we haven't really mentioned James Harden all that much. Maybe he's just the big one hanging over the entire series. Um, but who do you got? And then maybe we could talk about Harden after that if you have somebody no. else other than Harden as your X-Factor. No, he, he absolutely is a big, big factor. And as you yeah. talked about with, with Siakam being the number two, James Harden should be the number two, but he's not right now based on what he's played as far, in terms of best players in this series. But for me, sure. I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with whoever uh, whoever can give the Sixers a big punch off the bench, whether right. it's I'm going to use a combination of Niang, Shake Milton and maybe someone else, you know, depending on how, how the series plays out. But I because I think it's imperative that with the bench production that the Raptors get and the Sixers production, which we know George Niang will be ready to shoot. Uh, how about some of the others? So I, I'll give a combination of Niang and Shake Milton. If Milton gets the call from Doc Rivers, I don't know if it's going to be Furkan Korkmaz as well. But what we do know is with no Matisse Thibel in Toronto, everybody's elevated a spot. So yeah. for me, with Danny Green starting, no Matisse Thibel, it, it's, it has to be someone that, that's a big key off the bench from Niang to Milton and everyone else there on the back end. 
with the absence of Matisse Thibel. With everybody having to, again, take up that next spot and move up, you're going to need some help from the bench overall. And they may not, it may not be points, but it just has to be positive minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like crazy that we're in the same spot as we were back in 2019, but the bench production for the Sixers really feels like it's what's going to decide those, you know, Embiid-less minutes. Like, and look, Embiid's going to probably play 41, 42 minutes a game here. There's not going to be a ton of room for the Raptors to take advantage when he's on the sidelines. But, uh, you know, if the Sixers can just break even in those minutes, they stand a very good chance of winning this series. With that, guys, I guess we should do some predictions, shall we? You know, I've been throwing this series around all week long. I haven't had a hard time. I'm not even 100% sure just yet. So I'm going to make you guys go first. Uh <laughs> Devon, uh, who do you got? What's your prediction? How many games? I, I have the Sixers in seven. Uh, it's not a homer pick. It's a uh, it's a respect pick of, of what the Raptors are, what they've done during the regular season. The postseason is a different animal, but the Raptors do have some foundational pieces that have been there in the championship years year before and, and the postseason to know what this is about. A great coach, in my opinion, and Nick Nurse and the things that he likes to, to put together, how he devises things. But I think at the end of the day, Sean, that the Sixers have the best player in this series. And I normally lean when you have a situation like that, best player in the series, games one and seven, potentially the seven on your home floor. All of what happened during the regular season and the record not being as great as it has been in the past, that's out the window when you get to the postseason. So I have the Sixers in seven, and I feel comfortable saying that I would not be surprised if the Raptors won, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the Sixers found a way to get it done in five or six either. But for me, Sixers and seven. Keith, what about you? This is where D and I disagree. <laughs> I have the Raptors winning this thing, and I have the Raptors winning it in six. And, um, wow. you know, I, you know I, I, I get it. I, I know that a lot of people – I know the Sixers have Embiid. I know they have home court advantage. But we're talking about a four or five game a four or five series thing here. You know, we're talking about a Raptors team that, you know, you guys talked about pressures. I mean, when you think of the Raptors, honestly, pressures doesn't, when you go into a series, you shouldn't be thinking about pressures, but you can. I mean, you will. <laughs> I mean I'm honest, you you shouldn't. You, he's not one of the stars, You're but right. he gives 76ers the business. And I feel like this depth that they have, all these interchangeable parts, I mean, we forget that Chris Boucher gave him 30-something. He gave them the business one game, right? So when you when you factor all that stuff in, and I know people in Philadelphia don't like hearing this, but I think that the Raptors are going to beat the 76ers in six games. It's just the way it is. The Sixers, the Raptors are a team that's fine-tuning. The Sixers are a team trying to find themselves right now during this week off, trying to get everything in order, um, and I feel like that this is a bad matchup for him and the Raptors will win in six. I agree that it's not an ideal matchup for Philly. I think I'm going to go Sixers in seven purely because of Joel Embiid. I have a lot of respect for that dude. I mean, he almost dragged the Sixers to a win over the eventual champions in 2019 uh, despite having like a stomach bug throughout the entire series and putting up pretty crooked numbers. And yet still, every time you look at the box score, oh, he's a plus 12, always oh, plus 14, always oh, a plus 19. Um, and so I have like an immense amount of respect for him. And if he hadn't shown the growth this season in terms of his playmaking when he sees extra attention, 
I would 100% be in on the Raptors right now, but I do think there's a chance that he carves up what the Raptors are doing defensively, identifies those double teams, they get enough shooting, and I also just am a little bit skeptical of the Raptors as a team that's going to shoot 40% from three over the course of a whole series. They've been really hot and cold this season. They've been pretty good down the stretch, but you're asking a lot of Thad Young, who didn't shoot an a three the entire season in San Antonio, is now shooting 40% on like three attempts a game in Toronto, which is great. But can that carry over to the playoffs? Can Chris Boucher, who as much as he kind of has this shooting reputation, only shot about 27% for most of the season before getting hot to close the year, uh, can he carry it over? And, and also Precious Achua, there's a lot there. There's a lot of hot and cold with him. And, you know, I feel like he'll have a couple of games where he goes off, but I think there will be plenty of games as well where he just struggles like most 22-year-olds do in their first run through the playoffs. I think Sixers in seven. I would not be surprised if it's Raptors in six. And I have said this before. If there's a team getting swept in this series, I think it's Philly because the meltdown potential is extremely high if things go wrong with James Harden and all the bad vibes going on. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think that is on the table as like a 10% outcome. And I don't know if I see the Raptors getting swept just because of the way they're coached and just sort of they're a very, very difficult team to game plan for and beat four times in a row. So with that, uh, that is going to bring to an end our crossover between Locked On Raptors and Locked On Sixers. Follow us throughout the series. Of course, we will have these games broken down. We'll probably hop on another podcast again at some point, too, to talk about it as it's going on. Uh, Devon, Keith, this was awesome. Go make Locked On Sixers your first listen every day if you're a Sixers fan or make Locked On Raptors your first listen every day if you're a Raptors fan uh, and uh, continue to support our shows. Either way, the other one should be your second listen of the day throughout the series. Just make it a regular staple uh, throughout your podcast listening through the series and uh with that we'll wrap it up there devon keith enjoy the series guys you too sean thanks so much you too, man. You
too.